Oh, very cool. He surprised <laughs> us yet once again. Like I always say, it's always a variation on a theme. I love it. So hi, gang. From that tone, and you can hear it, we are Monkey Business, and this is your weekly dose. I am Chris. With me, as always, is Billy and Tanya, and in the studio, as well, is our producer, Sherry. Hello, Sherry. Hello. Well, hello, Sherry. Doesn't it doesn't have quite the same ring. That's so, so we got to do a, a Steve Perry channeling. Oh, there you go. That's even worse. <laughs> it's like you nails on like a that one, Sherry? Okay. All right, gang. So uh, we're, oh, we're going to jump right really into the loud. business. Uh, we want to do our sponsor shout-outs for Knox and Selena's, our, our favorite guys over at the Village Gate. Love you always and appreciate your support. Mm. Our perennial sponsor, First Print Comics, Mike and the guys over on Buffalo Road. A big nod to our one of our newest sponsors, The Great Escape Room over on University Avenue. And as always, Heather from Wibbly Wobbly, Timey Wimey. We love you guys, and we're looking forward to meeting Caitlin Blackwood, the young Amelia Pond from Doctor Who. Uh no big Patreon shout-outs this week, but hey, we're we're got the ball rolling. We got people who are signing up, so please, 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 if you're interested in supporting us and helping this podcast grow, www.patreon.com backslash FC3ROC. And uh, we got lots of opportunities for you to support us for as cheap as $1 a month, $12 a year. You can start getting a sneak peek into the behind-the-scenes of the Flower City Comic Con. You can really see and read what the cats are doing that Sherry's trying to Yeah, because you're going you're gonna to get <laughs> access to uh, Tanya's blog, you're going to get access to mine, the director's blog, you're going to get guest announcements first, all the good stuff. So just for... Uh, that's how I phrased it. That's, that's it. For, greetings from one of the cats that Sher- Sherry's trying to herd. There you go. <laughs> Very cool. So we're going to jump right into it. We have an interview today. Uh, Jennifer K. Stuller. Jennifer K. Stuller is a writer media critic, and feminist pop culture historian. She is the author of Ink-Stained Amazons and Cinematic Warriors, Superwomen in the Modern Mythology. Say that five times really fast. I was just thinking the same thing. And the editor of Fan Phenomena, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She has been published in BBC News, Bitch Media, and Geek Monthly. Additionally, Stuller is co-founder and former board president of Geek Girl Con, a sought-after speaker, she brings her messages of media literacy and positive fandom to a variety of audiences and speaks about geek culture and activism at conferences, libraries, and schools in the U.S. and internationally. Stoller is a rebellion built on hope. And it's great because we were just talking Talk about, about The Last Star Jedi. Wars, yes. That's awesome. And, and Rogue One and all Star Wars stuff. Uh, she's a rebellion built on hope and has vowed to use her powers only for good. So she can't be turned to the dark side? She can't be turned to the dark side, and then that would ask me, why is she on this podcast? (laughs) Jennifer, welcome to the monkey business. We love having you on board, and we appreciate your time. How are you doing today? I am doing great this morning. Thank you so much for having me on. I love that you guys are already talking about Star Wars. Oh, Oh, see, I'm I'm one of the few people, actually, Billy and I were old enough to have seen it in the theater when it, when the original movie me came too. out. Sherry, time. Oh, I did. I, I was five. You were five. Me too. Five? Oh, that's right. You're only two years younger than I am. Okay, that's amazing. Oh, I was so, 12. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Star Wars is that, that global uh, cultural phenomenon. And I'm actually, we, we just did um, a podcast last week uh, where we reviewed uh, The Last Jedi. And we didn't even... Touched, we didn't we touch on a lot. We, yeah, we really did kind of skim the surface crate, of it. Whatever the name of that planet was. The the salt planet? Yes. Yeah, there, there's a lot to be talked about in that particular movie. Um, and we're going to get to that in time. But we we want to introduce you to our listeners. So, and, and I always say this to people when I'm doing an interview. I love a good origin story, being a comic book nerd myself. So my first question is, have you always been a geek, Jennifer? And, and where, 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 how did you figure out, how did you come to that? Where, where, how did that whole thing evolve into this is where I want to be? Oh, well, that, that is a very long story. <laughs> good. I'm old enough to Star Wars in the theater myself. Good deal. Um, <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I have always been, people always ask me, have you always been a geek or have you always, and have you always been a feminist? And I say yes to both, but before I had ways to, to label or define those things, uh-huh. um, it's, it's always definitely been part of my identity. You know, I was raised by baby boomers, um, who were some of the, you know, the first generation to, to really 
consume um, and internalize popular culture. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I grew up watching the original Star Trek with my dad, cool. and my mom would give me all of the gossip from People magazine, mm-hmm. and they'd play records for me. And so I had this, like, this appreciation for popular culture, and it definitely skewed towards some of the weirder stuff, you know, mm-hmm. the, the deeper, more reflective content like um, like the Twilight Zone. Mm-hmm. And then being a child of the 70s, of course, we were so spoiled by amazing superhero and fantasy television, uh, both live action and animated. Right. And so, yeah, so it started very young for me. Um, I, I never knew that it would end up being something that I would get to work with as an adult, though. That, that was sort of the the uh, unknown call to adventure that that, um, that ended up happening. I, I'm with you. If, if like five, six years ago, somebody said, oh, by the way, Chris, we're looking forward to the, the comic book convention and podcast you guys are about to start. I would look at them really funny going, going um, no, no, that's that's <laughs> not a reality. That's not a thing. And now here I am. Um, so, yeah, I can relate to that. I, tell me a bit more. Let, let's jump into the, the seems to be the kind of like the Hallmark project that Sherry has talked about the most uh, and ink stained Amazons. I want to hear more about this. What would you like to know? <laughs> well, first of all, the, how how long have you been working on that? Is, is this? A, it was it's a book. book. It's mm-hmm. a book. And how long ago did you write that book? Uh, the book was published in 2010. Okay. So this is further part of the the you know my hero's journey. Okay. Was I moved to Seattle? Um, oh, January 1997. So 21 years ago. Wow. And. Um, from the Bay Area, mm-hmm. and I ended up going back to college in my late 20s. I was 27 years old, and I was in this amazing program at the University of Washington called the Program in the Comparative History of Ideas. And it was hmm. a lot of returning adult students. Okay. It was a lot of self-directed, community-based, uh, reflective study. And so while I was there, or even before I started, I knew I wanted to do something with mythology because storytelling and the collective unconscious and the hero's journey, that was all really um, fascinating and important and resonant to me. Mm -hmm. And I was also interested in looking at it from a feminist lens. Um, But the thing is, in ancient world mythology or classic world mythology, there aren't a lot of female heroes. Um, they, they fill other worlds. They're not going on the journey. And so I discovered Buffy the Vampire Slayer and fell deeply in love with that show and realized this is how I do it. I mm-hmm. look at modern mythology. And so for my um, senior thesis, my advisor suggested that I write my thesis as a book proposal for a book looking at the history of female super and action heroines in film, comics, and television. So that's the origin story of my career and of, um, as it is today, and of the book. That's amazing. Okay, cool. So uh, then tell me a little bit more about Inkstain Amazons, because I have a stack of books that is literally, I think, four and a half feet tall next to my desk at home that I, I always intend to get to, but I haven't had a chance to read. Um, so I, I, I'm guilty of the fact that this is, you know, when I have a, an author on the phone with me, I have not more often than not, actually gotten a chance to read the book that they are, you know, that's the flagship product or that first that first moment of that. So tell me more about Inkstained Amazons. What is, is it, is it basically a documentary of, of the observations? Yeah, I okay. think so. The first part is a history, mm-hmm. you know, starting from the 1930s to present day mm-hmm. um, and the kind of female characters from the 30s and 40s, 50s and 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, um, until the time the book was finished, uh, when, which I'll get to the, the finished part in a second. Um, <laughs> looking, how, looking how they uh, resonate with social mores and political norms of each time. Okay. So you see really strong female characters like Wonder Woman out being independent in the 1940s, and it's very reflective of... Um, you know, wartime propaganda in the United States, and then in the 1950s when there was propaganda for women, you know, middle-class white women who'd gone out into the 
um, public works sphere how they were supposed to go back home because the men were coming home and they okay. wanted their jobs back. And you see Wonder Woman become more of a romance comic. And so how these norms are reflected, like the feminist movement in the 60s and 70s. And, you know, again, I'm using Wonder Woman, but her being on the cover of Ms. Magazine and, and being framed as a feminist icon. Mm-hmm. Um Girl Power in the 1990s, and then when the when I turned in my book for publication, it was at a time where there were a real dearth of female heroes. Yeah, and so it's kind of exciting because everything I end up exploring later throughout the book, um, the female hero journey, which is the second part of the book. What are the themes that um, tend to show up in representations of a woman going on a, a hero journey? Um, and then the third part, what it looks like when women are influencing myth-making, when they're the ones telling and producing the stories. Um, it's really exciting to see that right now with, with characters like Rey in Force Awakens and The Last Jedi, or um, Furiosa and The Wise, um, uh, all of the, the, the incredible female characters that have come out leading film and television over the past five years. It's right. been kind of exciting to see those themes like oh that's everything i was talking about like 10 years ago <laughs> these people are finally catching up to you jennifer um you you mentioned wonder woman and and so my curiosity yeah. is this what's your opinion of the current permutation of of the character i mean with gal gadot taking her onto the the, the big screen how, how are you feeling about that oh the patty jenkins gal gadot wonder woman was unbelievably amazing i mean i i as soon as the film was over i posted a picture of myself on facebook in in tears and said yes i'm a middle-aged woman in the back of a midday screening of wonder woman by myself sobbing in the theater Uh and i thought it was just going to be me because this 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 topic of the female hero journey has been so important to me right and then i began to see just how incredibly resonant it was for women to see See a character that taps into their feelings and desires and curiosity um, uh, depicted on screen and see her being physically active and um, not objectified. Mm -hmm. And I just thought it was so extraordinary. Um, It it went above and beyond my expectations, barring some like superhero overblown stuff in the third act. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it was it, it was incredible. My wife had a, a similar sort of emotional reaction to Wonder Woman, where <laughs> she was so glad to see a woman hero mm-hmm. uh, just sort of expanded on like that, as opposed to uh, at a Comic Con a year or two ago, we spoke with Gail Simone, a comic book writer who mm-hmm. coined the uh, term "women in refrigerators" or the website. Mm-hmm. Okay, which uh, are you familiar with that? Jennifer, the women oh, yeah, in refrigerator. Gail's a friend of mine. Oh, I'd like to say she's a Gail. I know Gail. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I do talk about women in refrigerators in um, in the book. Yeah. Where uh, for Chris and Tanya and Sherry, who may not know, it refers to a, a Green Lantern story where uh, Cal Rainier comes home and finds his girlfriend in a refrigerator. Okay. And basically, it it sort of explores the topic how female characters in comic books had been treated, devalued over the course of time. And do you feel now it's it's gotten way better, a little better, some better, not better at all than when Gail originally took on sort of her her uh, Women in Refrigerators website? Yeah. So, um, so, yeah, and just to expand on that, it's the, that the purpose of the female character, the the love interest was there to spur a moment in the male hero's journey. So when Alexandra DeWitt was cut up and put up in, and, and put in the refrigerator and Green Lantern came home and found her, it motivated him to take on his villain, right? That it spurred him to action. So she was just a plot point in his story. Mm-hmm. Um, it's gotten somewhat better. I think, you know, I've been thinking about this um, people ask me, it's, it's amazing that this is still a media literacy term that we use, women in refrigerators, to refer to women being a plot point. I've seen the same sort of trope 
recently, in recent years, referred to as um, Trinity syndrome. So, like, Trinity in the Matrix uh, is never as extraordinary throughout the series as she is when we're first introduced to her. And she ultimately ends up dying. And it, she's not she's not the hero in the story. It's not her story. It's Neo's story, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but what was so interesting about Wonder Woman was that Steve Trevor was a fully formed character. Um, he wasn't necessarily a plot point, but then he did die uh, at the end of her of the end of the movie, and it's a to fill Wonder Woman's story. Um, mm-hmm. And I thought that that was absolutely brilliant because Diana was allowed to have a romance, um, but the romance didn't become, define her, and she wasn't subsumed by it. That was something I had noticed as well, I, and I'm looking at that movie in hindsight, and I really thought that was was a very refreshing change to see, you know, the love interest was not just a foil, you know, not just a kind of like a an accessory. I read an article. Um, right. I read an article like pretty soon after I saw Wonder Woman, and mm-hmm. it's and it was uh, that Steve Trevor was the perfect here uh, superhero girlfriend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's one way of looking at it, and and I and I have to apologize, yeah. and I know she's probably not listening to this particular podcast, but but Gal Gadot, I keep say, I keep seeing her last name and thinking of the play Waiting for Godot, so that's how I pronounce it, it and I and I'm told not. the T has to be pronounced, and I so I feel bad, and I and I hear Jennifer say that, and I'm like, oh God, that's right, I, I'm, I'm mispronouncing her name. Anyway, not that I'm at any risk of actually upsetting. What's that? I said, I practice it too. <laughs> okay, see, there we go. I don't feel so bad now. I'm in good company. Um, no, no. <laughs> so that's that, that's great. Okay, so, okay. I, I'm definitely going to purchase this book. Oh, absolutely. I, I have a, Like I said, I have a stack of books that I intend to read before the end we're, of 2018. We're going to push over the rest of those books so yeah. you can actually read this one. That's first. fine. Put Jennifer, right the um, the, yeah. when I first contacted you, um, this is Sherry, by the way. Hi. <laughs> when I first Hi, contacted okay. you, um, I mentioned that your name had come up because of this book, because my daughter, um, both in high school and college, wrote uh, papers, research papers, uh, about different aspects of female superheroes, and she liberally quoted you in both <laughs> papers. <laughs> she did properly cite you, if that's she did. She did properly cite you. I made sure of that <laughs> you know it's an excellent book and, it's and a I, really wonderful book and i really thank you for writing it it's really mm-hmm. just oh. phenomenal i'm looking forward to reading it thank you and, and <laughs> i see you know we were just talking about this like i said i make a lot of references to last week because we were doing our, our discussion of the last jedi and we were talking about how in the general global consciousness star wars is so ingrained around the world that the ability to make a perfect Star Wars movie no longer exists. Because there's just so many, there's like six billion opinions out there, you can't satisfy all of them. And and it led yeah. to a brief touch on on what we've collectively called nerd rage. You know, how the, the, the geeks, they just get all up in arms and, and they get angry about these various things and how nerd rage has become this, this palpable creature in, in our culture, in our you know, especially in the geek world, and and it's led to things like like Gamergate and and just a lot of, just just a serious chunk of negativity. How do you see projects like Inkstained Amazon? Oop, I'm just knocking my own microphone wrong. Excuse me. Uh, how like Inkstained Amazons and some of your other projects, um, like Geek Girl Con, which I'm going to ask you about a little bit more in the in the very near future, in the next few minutes. But how do you see stuff like that? It, it, do you see it as like combating this, or do you see it's like I'm just going to put this out there? This is the lighthouse. This is going to guide people to this conversation. I, it's the latter for okay. me. It's it's the it's the latter. Mm-hmm. Um, I you know I'm not really interested in, in getting into a combat with somebody. Um, yeah. With the, the, and it's interesting to see um, sort of disappointed reactions to cultural cultural touchstone such as Star Wars. Um, you know I don't know if it's ever been perfect for everybody, but there is mm-hmm. such a massive following now that there wasn't, obviously, in the 1970s. Um, And there are more ways to immediately communicate with people about and and dissect a film than there were in the 70s and 80s. Um, I have some friends who were part of Star Wars and Star Trek fandom in the early 1980s, you know, and they had to, they wrote letters 
to each other and printed zines on mimeographs. And so there were months in between conversations. So now any sort of, like, um, disappointment is amplified. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it gets reported on by somebody and, you know, a writer captures a bunch of tweets that express, you know, anger regarding the film. Um, You know, but what I have seen is an extraordinary number of women really taking to... Uh, particularly The Last Jedi, um, Mm -hmm. but as well, The Force Awakens as well. And so it's interesting to me to see, um, you know, I feel like these last two Star Wars films, uh, the last three, including Rogue One, have really been Star Wars films directed at female audiences. Um, So I'm really interested in exploring that uh, as, far as, as far as nerd rage goes, mm-hmm. oh boy, there's a lot tied up in there. Yeah, culturally. it is um, amazing. Geek culture has changed a lot in the past 10 years um, due to organizations and movements like GeekCon, but mm-hmm. I will wait until you ask me about that. Okay. <laughs> well, and then we'll bring it, jump right into it. Um, but you know what? I just had a quick thought that I jotted down on my pad before I, because we were talking about it and, and you were mentioning your reaction to Wonder Woman and and your how you use Buffy the Vampire Slayer as as a basis for a lot of your your approach. Um, so I'm going to ask you about what the other, you know, the, the entertainment juggernaut, the Marvel Universe, how do you feel how they've handled things? Because there are a lot of people who point to Black Widow and how she has been so misused in some cases she's always been kind of that secondary she's always been a supporting character do you feel that that's a disservice or has that kind of shown the importance of of female characters and then of course now marvel is is leaning towards its evolution it's brought in a lot more it's brought in you know scarlet witch and it's going to have captain marvel coming up pretty soon but uh, i want to hear your opinion on black widow on black widow specifically I think she's a, a fascinating character. I think mm-hmm. Scarlett Johansson plays her really well. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I do think that she has been uh, more more sidelined. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in a cast of a bazillion. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe in film, um, the female characters have not been as interesting to me or, or I, I found them disappointing like Gamora ends up being a love interest mm-hmm. and uh, mother figure versus you know a character who's badass on, in her own right right um, on television it's a totally different experience you know, Agent Carter mm-hmm. uh, Jessica mm-hmm. Jones mm-hmm. Um, that there are these uh, uh, all of the all all of the women on Luke Cage, which ended up being a show about incredible women, yes, um, not necessarily about Cage. Uh, you, you see these much more nuanced, um, deep uh, female uh, explorations of power and abuse and authority, and uh, yeah. So the silver screen folks have kind of gotten a little bit more in depth on it, but the big screen folks need to learn a lesson from the Netflix team. Yes. Yeah. Um, indeed, indeed. Yeah, and 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 I I with you. I discovered Buffy the Vampire Slayer when she came out in the '90s too. And and the one thing I'm going to add to that conversation is my favorite quote is is a Joss Whedon. You've probably heard this. I would I would assume at this point when somebody asked him one time during an interview, why do you continually draw draw up these amazingly strong female characters? And his response was because you keep asking that question. You know, so it's until until this becomes just as much the norm as as everything else, then, you know, we're always going to put a spotlight on it. And I think that's that's it's needed. It's it's something that just needs to happen now. So with that all being said and that observation out in the the open there, and I'm going to ask you about Geek Girl Con and and you were on the board. You were the, the board president of Geek Girl Con. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, I'm actually a, a co-founder. Okay. Uh, so there was a panel at San Diego Comic-Con in 2010 mm-hmm. that was put together by uh, Kristen Riley of the uh, what was then called the Geek Girls Network. And she'd also organized a tweet-up uh, to, to be held off-site during the convention. And the panel had, it, was, it, was, it came out of a conversation that was happening on the Internet 
um, between Jill Pantosi and Geek Girl Diva, and uh, women who are finding each other in this digital space mm-hmm. um, and who were sort of absent from the physical spaces because they were so uh, gate-kept at the time. Oh, jeez. And so yeah. this panel happened. It was marvelously popular. Um, someone uh, based in Seattle afterwards said, hey, we should have one of, we should have a geek girl con. And I contacted her and we put together some meetings locally. And over the next year and a half, um, people came on to volunteer. Uh, community members helped us out. Uh, we did lots of local, small word of mouth events. We did some online events. And then in 20, in fall of 2011, we had our first convention at, it was held at Seattle Center, um, right near the Space Needle. Wow. And the uh, people at the Museum of Popular Culture, it was then called EMP, donated some of their space to us. Um, got Jane Essenson up here. Gail Simone was here. Trina Robbins, um, Greg Rucka, and Jen Van Meter were here. Uh, Chase Masterson brought herself up from LA. She had been on uh, Deep Space Nine mm-hmm. as Lita. And we had 2,500 people come and sold out for the very first convention. That's phenomenal. And uh, this year was our seventh con. So we're up to about, or they are, uh, I'm no longer uh, with the organization officially. Um, They are up to about 11,000 annual attendees. That's phenomenal. We need to talk to them. Yeah, seriously. (laughs) We're we're, we're putting our third show together. It'll be this June uh, here in Rochester, New York. And uh, we've been averaging 2,000 at the gate for our first two shows. So we're starting to hope to really kind of evolve that. So, yeah, our hat's off because we know what kind of an effort it takes to put on uh, an event like that. There's 292 days, 8 hours, and 43 minutes until Geek Girl Con 2018. Okay. So that gives you plenty of time to plan and go to the West Coast. I'm on the website. (laughs) (laughs) Tanya's usually parked in front of a computer. She's the one who does most of our on-the-fly research while we're in the middle of of conversations. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, So, you know, it's fascinating to see all of this um, nerd rage happening online, for sure. Right. Uh, And... You know, over the past, you know, since 2010, over the past eight years, um, we've seen so many different movements in geek culture and con culture that are combining fandom and identity politics. And so you're seeing blurred, you're seeing racialicious and um, angry Asian man, you're seeing uh, black girl nerds, people coming out and claiming space within what was, you know, stereotypically seen as a, you know, schlubby comic book guy type mm-hmm. culture, which it, was, which it wasn't, because there's always been uh, many identities within geek culture, and geek culture has always, always, always been driven by women. Mm-hmm. Um, and fandom culture has been driven by women. Um, but 10 years ago at Comic-Con, you, you didn't see a lot of women on the show floor, you didn't see a lot of women on panels. It was like 10 guys and Gail Simone on the DC panel. (laughs) And um, you didn't, the women that you saw on the show floor were booth babes. Yeah. um, Which ended up being kind of an intimidating experience. Uh, This past summer, when I was down there on preview night, I was on the show floor and I saw a little girl, she's probably about nine, and she squealed ran over to the Cork Books booth because there was a big poster of Sam Mag's book, Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy. Oh, wow. She squealed and she said, Fangirl's Guide to the Galaxy? Oh, my God. I love girl geek. <laughs> I started falling. I don't like to hug this little girl. No, I shouldn't go hug this little girl. <laughs> like, the, 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 the culture has changed so much mm-hmm. to be more inclusive that necessarily, uh, mostly because of dollars, but industries are going to have to start catering more to female audiences. Mm-hmm. I think. I, go ahead, Billy. Oh, I'm sorry. I I, ju- I want to change the topic just a little bit because I want her take on something we've debated in the past. Yeah. 
Princess Leia recast, yeah. or what do they do with her in the next uh, Star Wars Ooh. episode? Oh, see. Ya. <laughs> um, I. Oh, he. <laughs> Put her on the spot, Billy. Pre Last Jedi, um, pre watching it, I I didn't want it to be recast. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'm still uncomfortable with that. Uh, but I'm so, so sad that we won't get the, the Leia movie. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, this most recent trilogy was supposed to be the Han, Luke, Leia mm-hmm. film. And now I don't know what that look like will look like. And I feel like we've been, you know, robbed of that. Right. Um, but that doesn't mean it won't be an extraordinary movie. It doesn't mean that Ray or other female characters won't be brought in. Rose, Psycho, um, to, to fill to fill what feels like a void right now. My my opinion from think? go ahead. Well, my opinion from the word go. Uh, soon after uh, Carrie Fisher passed away, uh, we were we were doing a conversation about that, and and from the word go, I have been of the opinion that because the character. Is, is so important to the mythology that in order to do the character justice, I feel that you probably should have to recast the part, at least for this one movie, with everybody acknowledging that if Carrie Fisher were alive, she would play the part. That's just a given mm-hmm. thing. Um, but the character is, is has become more than just the actress who played her. And and so the importance mm-hmm. of that personality, <laughs> the importance of that, that person uh, to the story and to what it means to kind of like the whole Star Wars cultural phenomenon is 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 I feel that that should you should be able to get give Leah her her chance in lieu of of Carrie's passing. I, that's just always been my opinion from the word go. And we've decided it should be the second Becky from Roseanne. There you go. <laughs> that's not, not no. that's not what we came up with. No. It's <laughs> not. It's... Wow, you're yeah, like but the thing is Oh, go ahead. No, yeah. Billy's ready to push buttons today. <laughs> he's trying. I'm just trying to make myself laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's it. No, he's doing a good job of it, too. Um, and and I, I went so far as so, to... Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jennifer. No, no, you go ahead. Well, I was just, you know, to finish my point um, that, I, that I had said on a couple of podcasts already, I said, you know, Star Wars is very good at finding the diamonds in the rough, the up-and-coming talent, the people who might not have made a name for themselves, and then giving them the spotlight and giving mm-hmm. them that opportunity to to become this thing or part of this thing. And and so but I'm thinking in in this case if they were to recast Princess Leia, General Leia, uh, that you would have to kind of go opposite that and you would have to bring in a ringer. I think you just for this type of a thing just because of the the, the momentous nature and to do Carrie Fisher at least a little bit of honor, you can't bring in a no-name, you know, veteran act, stage actress. I think you have to go in you have to get somebody like Helen Mirren, J- Judy Dench, somebody somebody like that. Who can come in and carry that presence? I, but that's that, that's my entirely my opinion, so, which I have people have been arguing with me about pretty consistently. So, yeah, I think there's an online petition right now to cast Meryl Streep. You know, there's okay. also an online petition from people who want the from probably from dudes who want the film removed from canon. Which oh is yeah, no, that's the most ridiculous. It is thing. the yeah. single most ridiculous thing I've Last seen Jedi. yet. Was oh. was that one? Was that petition? And, and I, you know, guys, just you know, grow a pair and relax a little bit. It's just it's amazing. Right, to me. right, right, right. Uh, so, but as far as Terry Fisher goes, mm-hmm. she has become so she's, you can't separate her from the role. I mean, right. it would be so hard to do that. And you know, Terry Fisher has been an icon for decades, mm-hmm. and in her death, she's ascended to being this this goddess. Right? Oh yeah, like, no, hands down. She's been embraced so much in in fan culture, uh, especially in the past year, and in um, in one of the things that I'm one of the things that I'm working on right now is looking at geekivism, geek activism, and mm-hmm. how geeks are hacking popular culture or and harnessing popular culture in their political movements. And you've seen both Leia. And Carrie Fisher um, and the women of Star Wars you know, co-opted as icons of the this you know current Me Too movement and the Women's March. Mm-hmm. And so I think because of the political moment, it would also be really difficult to separate that out because Leia is Fisher and vice versa. 
which I completely I, I understand and, and agree with to to a degree. I just and believe me when I tell you that when I when I use the the sentence we should recast the part, I do it with great trepidation. But it just in my head it feels like the only logical way to approach it. I but I, I understand the pitfalls and the and the you know the minefield that you're walking through, and especially because Sherry sits right next to me when and we she's podcast with arm reach, and and she's within arm's reach, and she disagrees with me passionately, and and so there are times where I expect that I'm going to say something and I'm going to get whacked for it. So I'm pretty sure. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I agree well, with you. Know, you. It's, it's, yeah. And I, I've been saying to people, I know this is awful and really unfair, mm-hmm. but I'm very mad at Karen Fisher for dying. <laughs> yes, there we go. <laughs> I was, I was, it would have been so right. easy. <laughs> I, yeah. But, I, you know, I do, I do appreciate a lot of, you know, as we said last week, this is a no-win situation for Ryan Johnson and J.J. Abrams. Whatever they come up with, and it'll be brilliant, and they'll come up with something very respectful and, and hopefully at a rate really good depth to, mm-hmm. to the story. And, and so I respect the fact that they're going to do the best they can to make the best decision, but they are up against a really ugly looking brick wall and and so whatever they come up with is just going to be a challenge to play with and, and it's, but you know you do the best you can all right so okay so on that note on that happy and pious <laughs> note um, i i have been oh. dying to ask this question because ever since i saw it pop up in the the introduction it's been on my mind and I, I don't get to i swear often but i usually get like people wagging their finger at me but i get to say bitch media today and i and i get to say it with legitimate reasons so tell me more about bitch Re- media a uh, girl on film series uh what is that where can we find it and tell us about how how it's coming along oh well that was <laughs> that, gosh, that was so that was before the book was published oh really that so was, this is like uh, one of your first projects <laughs> Um, yeah, I would say so. Yeah, one of my first projects. Um, Pitch Media was something that, you know, it's so funny. I was uh, standing in City Life Books in 1996, which mm-hmm. is City Life Books is um, in San Francisco in North Beach and is uh, famous for publishing literature and poetry written by the Beats. And on the shelves with all of the zines and alt magazines I saw, Bitch magazine, mm-hmm. and I didn't buy it because I was 21 and didn't have a lot of money. And uh, but I bought the next issue, you know, when I got up to Seattle and was making some cash, mm-hmm. and uh, thought it was so incredibly brilliant. It's the feminist response to popular culture. They do um, media literacy, media criticism through uh, an intersectional feminist lens uh, of popular culture. And I always wanted to write for them and uh, ended up getting this gig uh, by pitching them. Uh, I pitched them a piece on Quentin Tarantino and how he was, at that time, the piece was about how he was an accidental feminist, that I don't think he was intentionally making feminist films, and yet people were drawing um, inspiration and empowerment from movies like Tell Bill and characters mm-hmm. like Beatrix Kiddo. And they said, hey, would you want to do the six-week, six- or eight-week series on exploring this topic? And so I, I kind of got to write whatever I wanted. And since then, uh, I've written for the magazine and for the website and even had a cover story on geek girls and women in fandom and the, the evolution of that, uh, which is amazing, and everybody should subscribe to it, basically. Okay. <laughs> I mean, hey, I'll take that advice. That's it's good excellent. By me. It's an excellent. I heard. Well, I've heard you talk about it on yeah. several occasions, Share Bear. Mm-hmm. So that's that's definitely something that uh, is on the radar. Um, so we've we've kind of successfully dipped into your past projects. Is there anything you're working on right now that uh, that's on the future on the horizon? Yes, uh, indeed. It hasn't been announced yet, but I'm going to be uh, leading a workshop at the Granger Leadership Academy which is put on by the Harry Potter Alliance. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. On, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I'm leading an event at uh, SIF Cinema. SIF is a Seattle International Film Festival, mm-hmm. and they have a film center, and they do uh, an ed- educational series. So I'm doing a half-day event looking at the history of Wonder Woman on film. We'll be looking at animated versions, 
Uh, we might be looking at the Wonder Woman pilot from a few years ago that was so terrible. <laughs> uh, we'll be looking at Linda Carter and Kathy Lee Crosby. Mm-hmm. And then I'm doing a deep dive into a three-night class um, called Amazons and Other Ass Tickers, and it's looking at the evolution of superheroines on film. Awesome. And then I'm also doing work, um, I have a project on geektivism. I'm working on a book proposal for um, basically what I was talking about earlier, how folks are using popular culture in their resistance movements okay. um, and activist campaigns and civic engagement. So I have a, a little website up, I have a, a placeholding website up right now called Geektivism. Dot com mm-hmm. and people can sign up for when um, there's more information out about that. Okay, very cool. I'm jotting that down right now. Geekdivism.com. <laughs> I'm very excited about it. Now, when do you see something like, it, you say you got a placeholder right now, do you have a timeline right now as to when that will actually kind of go full on out in the open live? Yeah, uh, well, it is live, but it's just not. Okay. Not quite ready yet. I'm still working out the details of what it's going to look like. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Geekdivism.com. Yeah. All right, so keep an eye on We're going to keep an yeah. eye on, on that and with great anticipation. You know, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get our, our act together. We might be able to get you out here in, in 2018, but we would love to have you come out to Flower City Comic Con and, and, uh, and do a presentation for, for our fans and, and uh, ticket holders. That would be awesome to have you in town. Ah, when, when is your con? Uh, this year it's in June, 9th and 10th, uh, but in nineteen, it's 2019, it's probably going to be moving back into its customary spot in April. April, yeah. Okay. Hmm. Uh, we'll keep yeah, tell me, I want to, I don't know, tell me more about it. Your con looks like it had a, a strong educational component. We do. Uh, like our first, the first convention, we've done two shows so far. The first one we did, uh, it had actual like local college professors. We have uh, who uh, one lady who works at the University of Rochester who was actually creator of the, the character of Barclay for Star Trek Next Generation. And she wrote a couple of the scripts mm. for, for episodes that he was featured in. So she came in and ran the Star Trek panel. Uh, we have another um, another individual who is a professor at uh, the Finger Lakes? Finger Lakes Community College, which is you know, near here. And uh, she came in and did a, an hour and a half presentation on Harry Hobbits. And I, there was another H word in there, but it was the, the uh, look at the modern mythology. Uh, and we do have uh, professors mm. at Monroe Community College that uh, that teach art and graphic art and comic book structure and things like that. So they came in and did, we did, we have a prof- professorial bent. We have like people come in and, and teach and, and, and educate. And mm. we like to expose the people who come to a variety of different things, stuff that you wouldn't normally see at a Comic-Con to try and, you know, open eyes and, 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 uh, and get the imaginations running. Cool. Very cool. Oh. We, we pat ourselves on the back. We've been fairly successful at it over over two shows so far. We'll see what we pull together for the third. This one might be coming out of its hat at this point. We're not sure. We're, we're winging it at this point for the third one. But uh, so far, it's, it's starting to come together. <laughs> it's where we bring it all together. Where we yeah, It's our slogan, where we bring it all together. <laughs> I know that feeling well. Yeah. Um. Where do we go from here? Exactly. We're, it's this the thing is is how do we continue bringing awareness? How do we continue? I mean, because geek culture really has become the mainstream. It used to be the, the the behind the scenes, the underground. The it wasn't cool to be a geek, but now it's becoming cool to be a geek. And how do we make it more universal? And I really feel it's happened so quickly that a lot of the stuff we've talked about, you know, the the nerd rage and whatnot has 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 been enhanced growing pains because things have been onsetting so. So fast, but where do we go? Do we just keep the, that that message strong? Is there something we need to kind of like really put a spotlight on? Just hold the course. What do you What do you think, Jennifer? What What's the? Can you rephrase the question? <laughs> I can. I didn't even <laughs> I honestly. Didn't think there was question in there. When I started that sentence, I didn't even know where it was going. To be honest, <laughs> is it going to stay stay strong, or is it eventually going to? Uh, is it going to peter it, out? Yeah. Is, is, do we need to? Are we going to go back to the little groups of just the clicks, uh, the clusters? Yeah. I don't think. I, to jump in, I don't think that we're going to just go ba- go back go backwards to, into the the geek 
clusters and mm-hmm. things like that where where they had the nerds in the basement gaming thing because it's <laughs> Shut up, Sherry. Because um, we are nerds in the basement yes, we gaming. Are nerds in the basement Every gaming. other Sunday. But, but it's it's coming out and being more as the norm. Uh-huh. In especially with the the geek culture being more normal. Yeah, but how, you know, with geek culture becoming so mainstream, how do we continue making sure that everything, every aspect about it, is is focused on equally? You know, make making sure that no one. Uh, I don't even know where I'm going with it. Don't kill I know, my character this afternoon, well, and then we'll be fine. That's in debate at this point. I'm the dungeon master. I get to say what happens. Um, I think what you're trying... Help me out, Sherry, <laughs> please. I think what Chris is trying to say is how do... I mean, y- y- this geek activism that you're... This geek activism that you're doing so much with... Um, as Chris and I are both uh, parents of teenage daughters, and I know we worry about them because they're mm-hmm. both geeks. Oh yeah. <laughs> and um, how do how do we just keep things so that it doesn't go back to this whole idea of it's just about white males? I don't want the return of the damsel in distress. How do we stop that? That's basically what I'm. I, I guess to, to bottom line it. <laughs> I I think that. Uh... Well, there are a couple of different questions there. Um, yeah. Yeah. I think that as far, I, I think it's important for people to keep visibly and vocally participating in the culture, and I think that it's important for different identities to be creating the culture, whether that's participating in fan phenomena or um, being in industry. Right? We need to see more people of color, more. Uh, LGBTQ people, mm-hmm. more women, and different intersections of these identities, creating stories that people can relate to. And that will help keep the culture flourishing and progressive and inclusive. Are you familiar with Connor Bust? Yes. Yes, Connor. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, we're trying to become... Uh, we're trying to become more active. Involved. With, involved with yeah. Connor Bust. That's through... Um, Okay. Geek Girl Con, they had a thing in regards to Connorbus, so that's why okay. I was able to answer yes. One of I our first that. interviews <laughs> was with uh, Marco Shiro, who apparently is heavily involved with uh, Connor Bust, and he was one who brought it to our attention. Yeah, so um, for your listeners, Please, Connor you. Bust, um, I can't remember the name of their overhead um, or who they, they fall under, but they provide passes to cons for people of color who wouldn't otherwise be able to attend them. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, that, that, okay. That, and that's a great way to, to, that's a great thing overall. I love the way that it's, it's helping mm-hmm. bring people to the culture. You know, it's, it's kind of like an invitation in. It's great. Well, and these, these, you know, these events, one of the things that when GeekoCon was fairly new, I kept thinking, a question I kept asking myself and other people was, you know, when we're trying to create this change and trying to create these inclusive spaces, does it make more sense to have, uh, you know, niche events or does it make more sense to to claim space within, like, San Diego Comic-Con, which is 150,000 people? Mm-hmm. And I think you need to do a combination of both. And as you see... Um, you know, more diverse panels happening at these larger cons. Simultaneously, you're seeing smaller conventions pop up all over the place that um, have uh, an identity politic to them, like FlameCon, which is put out on by Geeks Out. It happens in Brooklyn every August and is amazing. Um, has an LGBTQ focus. Uh, there was just an Indigenous con for uh, native native folks, native geeks. Really, that's um, amazing. Live, well, that's awesome. Yeah, live in New Mexico, I think. Uh, Jamie Broadneck, who founded Black Girl Nerds, is putting together Universal Fan Con um, for intersectional identities. It's a it's um, for any any fan. Uh, that's happening. I think next. I think this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, you're seeing these. A gamer X uh, was a um, or is an organization that puts on 
an annual convention for gay gamers uh, down in the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, I mean, the, the culture has already changed. And even as, um, you know, commercially it's mainstream, there, there, is, there are also still these subcultures happening um, underneath the surface. I think there's always going to be a subculture to something. That's, that's no matter how you know prevalent something becomes. There's always going to be something underneath it that's going to help kind of get ready to morph it in the future. I think. That's, but that's my opinion. I don't know. What do I know? Right. I know right. nothing. That's why I do these podcasts so I can learn something <laughs> too along the way. And dead air. And dead air. <laughs> well, we've we've had the, the we had, there's a bit of a delay between Seattle and Rochester today. That's we got to respect that. Okay. <laughs> So Jennifer, we're going to let you off the hook at this point. Um, but so how, how's the weather? How's the weather in Seattle? Just so we know. Uh, I I think it's a lot better than the East Coast. <laughs> yeah. We, Is it we, above ten degrees? Uh, yes. Okay, then you're better off. Yeah, we yes. we've had a cold snap where the heat wave pushed us up to seven yesterday. Right now, oh we're currently goodness. at fifteen. Well, okay. We've we've had some chilly days, um, and you're going to hate hearing this, where the sun is out, (laughs) and the mountains, the the Cascades to uh, one side and the Olympics to the other side are clear and gleaming with snow and just absolutely ridiculously beautiful. You know what? I'll accept that because as long as somebody is happy with the weather, I'm happy. That that makes me that makes me have hope that in the future we will get out of this. But can I tell you how happy I was to have a, a cold day on Friday? I didn't have to go into work because it oh, was yeah. See, wind chills of negative twenty five. Some of us, our day job, we work for the municipality, and and we don't have an opportunity yeah, to take well. the day off. And I'm on the radio. Radio oh. never closes. Radio never closes. <laughs> City hall never closes. Schools close. There Woo! you go. Jennifer, thank you for your time this I, afternoon. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you. It was it was absolutely a delight talking to all of you. We, as, as you can tell, we're still novices at, at giving interviews, and, and we appreciate your patience while we kind of bundled our way through. Th- well, no, not not we, we me, you. me. It's it just you. it's a, I'll point the finger at me. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing half the time, but that's part of my charm, from what I'm told. Hold on, let me tip my head sideways. But this has been Jennifer. Excuse me, Jennifer Stuller, author and conventioneer, and we we're looking forward to uh, to hearing from you in the future. Hopefully, we'll be able to circle around and have another talk, some, and we'll, we'll actually sound like we are actually professional interviewers the next time. I promise. <laughs> Sounds great. Well, if we can get her out in in June, then you could be like the panel moderator, and then you See, have lots you... of times oh, to uh, practice and yeah. things like that. And. And uh, and we look forward to seeing uh, geekdivism.com come to come to life and and uh, and all other projects. So best of luck, and we appreciate your time. And uh, and from for Billy and for Tanya, for Sherry and myself, we're going to say thank you and uh, and have a great rest of the day. You as well. Thank you so much, and good luck with your con in June. Thank you so thank much, you. Jennifer. Appreciate it. All right, Billy, let's go ahead and hit hit that that ridiculous music that you love so much. There it is. And this has been Monkey Business for another week, a product of the Mighty Monkey Corporation, purveyors and producers of the Flower City Comic Con. Coming at you in 3D, June 9th and 10th at the Floriano Rochester Riverside Convention Center. Love us on Facebook. Please, we beg you. And uh, and, and subscribe to us on Patreon.com, FC3ROC. And uh, that's it for a week, and we will see you again soon. Take care. Bye-bye.